Well, we're going to give our attention to the reading of, of God's Word. We're working our way through uh, the Gospel according to John, and we find ourselves in John 17 this morning. And we're really going to focus on verses 6 through 19, but I'm going to go ahead and read verses 1 through 19 just to give us a sense of the flow of, of the chapter. This is God's Word. John 17, starting in verse 1, we'll read through verse 19. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours. And yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, Judas Iscariot, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. This is God's word. Let's go to him now in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this beautiful prayer. And we ask that you would impress the truth of your gospel onto our hearts that we might see and that we might believe. Give us understanding and compassion and joy. For we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Last week we began by saying that prayer is the language of our hearts. To paraphrase the late great John Owen, the real you is who you are when you pray. Sadly, there are a lot of things about the Christian life that you can fake you can fake a lot of things, but you cannot fake who you are when you pray. 
what you actually believe about yourself, about God, about your friends and family, about, about the world, is revealed when you pray. And if you don't pray at all, well, that says something about what you believe too. Let me show you what I mean. Guys, you can bring up the video. Don't hit play yet. This is Makai Martin. Now, three years ago, when he was just three years old, he's six now, he attended Transformation Christian School in St. Louis, Missouri. One day, one of his teachers asked him if he would offer up the prayer before lunch, and this is what he said. I'll play it for you, and if you can't understand it, I'll read it afterwards. Okay, remember, he's just three years old. All right, take it away. I just love his little furrowed brows as he's praying. I like the momentum. He builds up to it. Uh, by the end, he's praying in Jesus' name. Uh, isn't that great? I mean, you can really tell what that little boy believes by that prayer. As simple and as beautiful as it is, he prays to his father, God. This little boy knows that he is a child of his heavenly father. He knows that he has been adopted into the family of faith through Jesus. He knows that he belongs. He prays in Jesus' name. He knows that Jesus is his Savior. He knows that he has been forgiven. He prays for his food. That is the three-year-old version of give us this day our daily bread. He knows that God is his sustainer and his provider and that every perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no shadow or variation due to change. He doesn't just pray for himself or his classmates. He prays for all the little children in the world. He knows that our God is the God of everyone who believes. And he knows that his Savior said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Now, I can almost end the sermon right there and just tell y'all to go and pray like Mackay uh, Martin prayed, but we have so much, something so much better in our passage today. Today, we get to learn like, to pray like Jesus prayed by listening to Jesus pray. This is such a profound, beautiful passage, so helpful, so instructive, so inspiring, because this prayer is a prayer that Jesus prayed for us, for the church, his people, just hours, hours before he suffered and died on the cross. 
It's a prayer about glory. We saw that last last week. Jesus uses the word glory five times in the first five verses of the prayer. Jesus wants us to see and to savor and to share his glory. And we do that by seeing and savoring and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and the wonders of his grace because Jesus is our rock, because he's our mediator, because he's our savior, we can find the glory that that should tear us apart. The glory that dropped the prophet Isaiah to his face, that same glory puts us back together again because of Jesus. But that's not all that this prayer is about. This prayer, which begins so beautifully with the glory of God, moves on to humility and joy and wisdom and courage. Jesus wants the church to be a city on a hill, a light to the nations. Jesus wants this place to be different than the world out there. The world is is governed by warfare and division The church is to be a place of unity and peace. So how does that happen? How how do we pray like Jesus prayed? And how does God answer those prayers, not only for us as individuals, but for us collectively as a body, as the church? Well, if you're taking notes this morning, here's our outline. As we continue to walk through the high priestly prayer, this is week two of three that we'll be studying this prayer, Learning to pray like Jesus prayed, I want us to ask two big questions that I hope will help us shape our thinking about what Jesus is saying in this prayer. The first is, who does Jesus pray for? Does he pray for all people? Does he pray for some people? Does he pray for good people? Does he pray for bad people? Forgiven people? We'll talk about it. And second, What does Jesus pray about? Our health, our happiness, our holiness. All of the above, none of the above, some of the above. We'll see. Does Jesus pray for everyone? And does Jesus pray for everything? Who should we pray for? And what should we pray about? Let's take a closer look. First big question is this. Who does Jesus pray for? Verse 6. Jesus says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Jumping down then to verse 9. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are are yours. In other words, when Jesus prays, when he pours out his heart to his heavenly Father, the very first thing on his mind after the glory of God is the good of the church. Jesus prays for the church. If you are connected to Jesus in worship, if you are connected to other Christian people in fellowship, if you're connected to the world in evangelism and mercy and service, then Jesus is praying for you. He's praying for you. 
that your feet may not slip, that your heart may not fail, that your will may not falter. Jesus prays for specific congregations like ours. He prays for Pinewoods Church. He prays for our success in conducting the mission that he has given us to reach our friends and neighbors for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He prays for us when our hearts are broken. He prays for us when we're joyful and celebrating. He prays for us to be good stewards of the resources, material and spiritual. And he has blessed us so richly in Christ. He prays us that we would be good resources, stewards of those resources that he's given us. He wants us to be wise and prudent and joyful and prayerful and outrageously generous as a church. But again, he doesn't just pray for us collectively. He prays for us individually. He prays for specific people with specific needs within our congregation. Whatever is on your list, whether it's yourself, whether it's others who you love, that is on Jesus' list as well. If something should be on your list and it's not, it's on his list. If something shouldn't be on your list, and it is, he will graciously give you what you would have asked for if you know everything that he knows. Jesus prays for everyone who has been given to him by God the Father. Jesus prays for us every single day, not because we are so good. There's nothing in this passage at all about us earning our way onto his prayer list. He prays for us because he's so gracious. Before God created the sun and the moon and the stars, before he walked with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, before a single one of us had the chance to do anything, good or evil, before any of us had a chance to earn our place in the family of God, Jesus loved us and chose us to be part of his forever family, the family of faith. And because we are part of that family, he prays for us as if we were his very own. He chose us to believe, that's verse 8. He chose us to obey, that's verse 6. That means if you believe everything that the Bible says about Jesus, if you believe that he is the Son of God and the Savior of sinners, if you believe that he is the Lion of Judah and the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the true vine, the living bread, the living water, the way, the truth, and the life, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Our prophet, our priest, our king, our advocate, our friend, if our teacher, and if your faith is as big as a mustard seed, which is 99% smaller than all of the other seeds, then Jesus is praying for you. Who's he praying for? He's praying for the church. He's praying for his people. And if you believe in him as your Lord and Savior, you're everything then you are on his prayer list and Jesus is praying to God the Father for you. Now the second big question is this, 
what's on Jesus's prayer list. When Jesus prays for us as his bride, as the church, what specific things does he pray about? Well, four things. There are four things that Jesus prays for you every single day. The first thing is understanding. Verse 7. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you have given me, that they may receive them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. In other words, without God's help, we could not understand God's word. The Bible would be a complete mystery to us. Without God's help, we couldn't understand God's plan of salvation. Without God's help, we couldn't understand the cross. Without God's help, we couldn't understand the resurrection. Has God given us evidence to help us believe? Absolutely. The heavens declare the glory of God. And so when we look at the beauty of of creation, the complexity of creation, we have testimony that God is our creator and that he has created all of these things and has made them beautiful in his time. If you remember what Jesus said in John 10, he taught us, even though you do not believe in me, believe the works Believe the miracles that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and that I am in the Father. So our God is not above giving us evidence or proofs or reasons to believe. True faith, biblical faith, is not blind faith. We don't believe the things that we believe without evidence. We believe the things we believe because of the evidence. Because God has revealed himself to us, both in general revelation and all of nature that he's created, something which all the world can see, and also through special revelation, through the miracles and the answered prayers, chief among them being the word of God itself. True faith is knowledge and assent and trust in the promises of God. And yet, in spite of all of the evidence that God gives us, we cannot reason our way into the kingdom of God. We cannot believe until God enables us to believe. Ephesians 2 reminds us that true faith, saving faith, is a gift of God. And so, if you don't believe, or if someone that you don't, that you love, does not believe, and you want to believe, or you want your friend to believe, or your child to believe, or your grandchild to believe, pray. Share God's word. Share the evidence. Share the truth. Listen to the questions. But don't forget to pray. Ask God to give you faith. Ask God to give faith to the person that you love. Ask God to strengthen your faith. If you're just holding on and you're trying desperately to believe, ask God to give you wisdom and understanding so that you can understand God's word. If the Bible doesn't make sense to you, yes, read books and listen to sermons and read commentaries And go to Pastor Dave and ask him to explain the Song of Solomon to you. (laughs) 
I'm busy that day. (laughs) But don't forget to pray. Ask God to give you understanding. He will. Now, the second thing that Jesus is praying for you every single day, not only understanding, but endurance. Endurance. Verse 11, Holy Father, keep them in your name. Jesus is is praying for our protection from things in the world that may distract us or discourage us from the gospel of Jesus Christ, from believing in him, from following him, from serving him. He's praying, Heavenly Father, help your children to finish well. Heavenly Father, Get your children across the finish line. Heavenly Father, protect them from bad people and bad choices. Heavenly Father, protect them from themselves. We need that. Anyone who's experienced the joy of believing in Jesus for the very first time has experienced that mountaintop experience where we go to the mountain and we meet with God and we're infused with a spiritual adrenaline shot. We're so excited. But we also know that we have to come down from the mountain to live in the real world. The Christian life is a marathon. It's not a sprint We need endurance to live the Christian life. We need endurance to finish well. Sometimes in life we feel like we are all alone. Sometimes we feel like we just want to give up. Sometimes we feel like we we want to take shortcuts. Sometimes it just feels like we want to cry. We, we, We have nothing and we don't even know what to do. When you feel that way, and you will, remember that Jesus, the divine Son of God, the Savior of sinners, is praying for you. He will give you exactly what you need, exactly when you need it, in order to finish well. He gives us strength we need as a church to keep loving and serving and sending. Now, sadly, not everyone who begins the Christian life well finishes the Christian life well. There's a reason why they don't give out the Super Bowl trophy at halftime of the Super Bowl. We need God's strength to finish well, and we get that strength as we go to Him in prayer. The third thing that He prays for us is unity. Verse 11 Holy Father, keep them in your name, that's the endurance, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Jesus wants us to get along with each other. He wants us to agree. And when we disagree, he wants us to agree to disagree without being disagreeable. Easier said than done. It's almost a cliche to say that we live in a very divided world. It seems that in our world, almost every single issue is an us versus them issue. Political issues and social issues and theological issues. Name the issue, great or small, and the question is, are you with us or are you with them? Now, if you're with us, 
Well, we'll excuse pretty much anything that you say or do because you're on our team. But if you're with them, we'll demonize you. We'll shut you down. We'll silence you. We'll cancel you. We'll dox you. Because every single issue is a life or death battle to the finish in our culture. That's the way the world is out there, but it should not be the way things are in here in the church, in God's family. Yes, we have our disagreements in the church. Because we live in a fallen world, some of you will not see that I am right about everything (laughs) until we get to heaven and see God face to face. That is my burden to bear. (laughs) But until that day, the goal is unity. The goal is harmony. The goal is cooperation. May we be one as God is one. Three persons in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet one God, living forever in perfect harmony within the Godhead, forever and ever. Amen. In a world that says, focus on our disagreements, Focus on our our differences. Jesus wants us all to remember everything that we have in common. If you are a human being, you are created in the image of God. Every single person that has lived now or ever will live or ever has lived is an image bearer of God. Believers and unbelievers alike. We all have the same problem and the problem is sin. The problem is that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God in many, many ways, in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions, by things that we we do that we should not have done, things that we should have done but we did not do. That is the universal problem that afflicts us all. Every culture, every people group deals with the problem of sin. But the good news of the gospel is that we have the same solution to that problem and his name is Jesus Christ. On the cross, Jesus defeated the powers of sin and death forever. On the cross, Jesus secured our forgiveness. On the cross, Jesus assured us that death does not get the last word. For though he died, on the third day, he rose again from the dead. And if you believe in him, you will die an earthly death but you will rise again to glorious new life through him. That we have in common with one another. On the cross, Jesus tore down the dividing walls of hostility by creating one new humanity in himself. In Galatians 3, verse 27, the Apostle Paul writes this, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for we are all one in Christ. The gospel makes us one. The gospel brings us together. And Jesus wants us to experience that oneness together in the church. He's praying for that. 
The fourth thing, last thing, is joy. Joy. Verse 13, But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Jesus wants us to experience deep, profound, life-changing joy. He wants us to remember that the gospel is good news. As the angels told the shepherds, the gospel is good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. If you are a Christian, every day is Christmas. Every day is an opportunity to celebrate the joy that we have in Christ, our great King and Redeemer, who came in weakness and died in weakness and rose in glorious strength as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Joy is a state of mind. It's an inner peace. It's contentment that transcends our circumstances because we know who God is, and we know who we are, and we know how the story ends. In this world, we will have trouble, but take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. If we are in Christ, if we are united to him by faith, someday we will live in a world where all the sad things come untrue. Where all of the brokenness is put back together again. Jesus wants us to experience that world in this world. He is praying for joy. Are you? Are you praying for joy? Are you asking God to make you a a joyful person? And are you asking God to make our church a joyful church so that all the world might see Jesus? In Romans 12, the Apostle Paul urges us to rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. If you pray for joy, remember Jesus is praying that for you. Then God will answer your prayers and he will restore your heart and your soul. Sometimes, as Kate mentioned earlier, that life can be overwhelming. Sometimes we can be overcome by sorrow. Sometimes in the, in the rush to Thanksgiving and then the Advent season, it can feel like we're going 100 miles an hour, 100 different directions. It can feel very overwhelming. It does to me. Remember this. When you feel that way, that you are not alone. Jesus, the Son of the living God, is praying for you. He's praying for His church for gospel people, for forgiven people, everyone who believes. He's praying for our knowledge and our endurance and our unity and our joy. Do you want that for yourself? Do you want that for the people that you love, your friends and neighbors and those who don't yet know Christ? Ask Him. Learn to pray like Jesus prayed. Let's go to him now in prayer. Oh Lord, our God, we thank you for this beautiful, profound prayer which you have recorded in your word. 
I thank you, Lord God, that the Apostle John was listening well as you prayed this prayer and that he has recorded your words for us to read 2,000 years after they were first offered up in that upper room. Oh, Lord God, teach us to love what you love. Teach us to value what you value. Lord, show us so that we could know what you know. And Lord, increase our faith that we might pray like you prayed, that we might believe, that we might change. We ask all of this in the matchless name of Jesus. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for praying for us. For it is in your name we pray. Amen.